This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 290, submission number 060, Stumpers and 50 Grand Slam. Both Stumpers and 50 Grand Slam aired on NBC Daytime from October 4th to December 31st of 1976 for 65 episodes each. We're back in the world of game shows from the 70s, and the 70s were the halcyon era of the game shows. I mean, we had Match Game, Family Feud, The Hollywood Squares, Price is Right, Password, Password All-Stars, Password 76. Password 76? Now you're just making stuff up. Not 75? Anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, that was the post-All-Stars Password, yeah. Yeah. The $10,000 Pyramid, The Joker's Wild, and then there are shows like these two, which bowed and were canceled on the exact same day. Mike, do you happen to have a copy of the NBC 1976 schedule on you by any chance? By chance, I do. Ooh, my man. What was actually on in the summer and early fall of 1976 on NBC Daytime? To start out the year, you had Celebrity Sweepstakes, Wheel of Fortune, Hollywood Squares, High Rollers, and something called Take My Advice. That barely lasted uh, two weeks into 1976, and actually got replaced with The Return of the Magnificent Marble Machine, future entry. Talk about a giant pinball machine. And then uh, Magnificent Marvel Machine got canceled in June of 76, replaced by reruns of Sanford and Son. Plus also you had a couple of new shows in Fun Factory, which we actually talked about the previous episode, and also a little show which uh, got some legs called The Gong Show. And among the shows they replaced uh, was that Take My Advice Again must have come back at some point and Magnificent Marvel Machine and uh, and the original High Rollers were canceled for those three shows. And that's how it stayed until October 4th of 1976, when Fun Factory was canceled and Celebrity Sweepstakes was canceled. And in their places were these two shows. Uh, you had Hollywood Square is actually changing time slots from 11.30 to 10.30 to uh, fit for stumpers. And Grand Slam just flat out replaced Fun Factory at noon. Yeah. And uh, around this time, there would be uh, somebody that, I believe we talked about this woman a while ago. Lady by the name of Lynn Bolin. Hey everybody, it's Greg. I'm sorry. I wasn't really on the first 15, 20 minutes of this episode because I was occupied doing something else at the time. But I don't believe that we had ever discussed Lynn Bolin on the podcast 
prior to this episode of Stumpers and 50 Grand Slam, but I could be wrong. Now, if you are a game show fan of a certain age, like Greg, Mike, and myself, you know who Lynn Bolin is, and you know what she's famous, some would say infamous, for. Because she had an idea to bring the ladies to watch NBC Daytime by getting her guys on these shows. And of course, from that era, you have Jeff Edwards hosting perennial favorite Jackpot. You'd have Chuck Woolery hosting Wheel of Fortune, obviously. I don't know if you would call Peter Marshall one of her guys, but he was doing Hollywood Squares for a fair bit. But then you'd have these two shows. (laughs) And you'd also have I think uh, her favorite beefcake, if you will, not that I use the word beefcake, much regarding this guy, Alex Trebek, when he hosted High Rollers and also Wizard of Odds. How could I forget Alex Trebek? Well, you just did. How did I forget that? Why did I forget that? And also, he would have been reasonably young at this point in his 30s. I think you got to add Jim McCrell to the mix. Maybe he wasn't a stud or a beefcake by any uh Well, neither sense. was Peter Marshall, but he still got the eyeballs. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm just saying Jim McCrell with Celebrity Sweepstakes, he wasn't necessarily the eye candy for the females, but still he was of that age and he was in that era. And then you have these two shows, one of which she actually helped create. And that would be Stompers. If your partner and you can follow the clue and say the name, you will win the game and the chance to win $20,000. And now here's Anita Gillette and her partner, Bonnie Cirk, and Bill Bixby with our returning champion, Jess Peterson, all here to play Stumpers. And here's the host of Stumpers, Alan Lutton. Well, it was done by her production company, so she didn't just have a hand in it. This was like her thing. She was the executive producer. It was her production company. So she didn't just have a hand in this. No, she created, she did everything. Uh, and you know, using a line I've used in the past, she may have done everything but catering for all we know. Yeah, well, she did develop this show with a guy by the name of Bill Barr. Not that guy, but Bill Barr. And the object of the game It was basically Password, but it was Password for jackholes, basically. Because you're not giving a clue to your partner. You're giving a clue to your opponent. And you're actually giving the most difficult clue available to you, to your opponent. Because you're given three clues at the start. And the less clues it takes for you to get the stumper, the more it's worth to you. And if the opposing player was unable to guess the stumper after three clues, then the clue-giving team would get the full 15 for round one and the full 30 for round two. And that's only for a correct guess. If neither team gets the stumper, no points were awarded. And each player gets two stumpers. And the team 
ahead at the end of round two, wins the game, and a chance at $10,000 in the Super Stumper round. Now, if there was a tie, Alan Ludden, who, by the way, was the host of Stumpers, and just one of the best in the game during the 70s, he would provide clues, and it would be an all-play situation with the person who comes up with the correct Stumper winning the game. In any event, they go on to play the Super Stumpers round, which the object of the contestant was to guess the subject of Stumpers with the celebrity giving clues. Of course, because you're on the same team, the clues would actually have to be more helpful in guessing the subject instead of the other way around during the normal part of the game. We should also add that the points, since this wasn't clarified earlier, in round one, if the word was gotten on one clue, it was worth 15 points. 10 points if it was gotten on the second clue. Five if it was on the third. Double those values for round two. So hypothetical maximum is you could get up to 120 points in any given game. And you had 60 seconds to complete the Super Stumpers round. If you get 10 subjects in 60 seconds, you get $10,000. If not, you get 100 for every subject you successfully conveyed. And of course, the show itself was long enough so that you could fit two complete games without having to straddle. It was basically like Password or Pyramid, even down to the same structure. I think Bill Barr and Lynn Bolin may have lifted a trick or two from the Book of Bob Stewart. I don't know. Now, because this was an NBC show, there was Theoretically, no limit to how many games you could play. You could play until you were defeated. No, not really, because if you won the Super Stumpers round twice, if you won $20,000... Oh, that's right. That Yeah, and actually, I think it's on the final episode, somebody does that. They win both Super Stumpers rounds that day, and even though the show was canceled as the final episode, they were retired, technically. And like we said, it was hosted by Alan Ludden, who was perhaps one of the biggest names in game shows up to that point, having done both College Bowl and Password in his illustrious career. And announcing would be Bill Armstrong with Charlie O'Donnell. Yes, that Charlie O'Donnell. Uh, doing a secondary but Bill Armstrong uh, aside from Stumpers also announced Celebrity Sweepstakes and was the host for one season of Flyers Club. And fun fact, if you remember early Pack Century, the reel-to-reel picture show with Peter Marshall he was the announcer for that. It's the reel-to-reel picture show from Universal Studios Florida where today Two contestants and their movie star partners play for fabulous prizes and the chance to win the movie vacation of a lifetime. And here's the star of the Real to Real Picture Show, Peter Marshall. Hope he got paid for it. Oh, well, that's the reason it didn't last that long because nobody got paid. Nope. I will add about the show, if you've never seen it, 
I think visually it's amazing, especially for 1976. First off, the entire set is just about black. The only thing that's illuminated is the play area. And the play area is, is very cool, very illuminated, a lot of lights, as you'd probably expect. But I think the one thing that's like super cool is you have an overhang, like a marquee, almost like a marquee, like at a, a movie theater where you have the names of the, the shows and the stars or whatnot. You have that sort of overhang with the clues and they were being projected through that overhang. But I think even cooler than that is for the bonus round, the marquee literally goes up 90 degrees vertically, and you have the scoreboard for the Super Stumpers round. I think that is absolutely the coolest thing. Yeah, that is some sort of technical marvel. I mean, you imagine, because I've seen some of the clips online that that marquee is not just the marquee, but it's also sort of like a marquee with a slide projector attached to it. Yeah. That's why I said, because it projects the words out. Yeah. And you have to be extremely careful, whatever you have to move that. So yeah, that's pretty advanced for 1976. Well, one thing I will add is looking through IMDb for this show, some of the celebs, uh, they list uh, among the celebs, Vicki Lawrence, Ross Martin, Bill Bixby. Bill Bixby is actually on the finale. Jamie Farr, Betty White. Well, Betty White. I mean, that makes perfectly good sense she'd be on there. But one name, and I did a little bit of sleuthing, Jack Cassidy. And the reason I bring him up is in 1976, he died in a fire at his house, doing even more research. He died on December 12th of 1976. The week of episodes that he was on started the very next day. Oh, his, wow. week, his week was posthumous, 13th through the 17th of December. So third to last week of shows. That is, wow, that's, that's crazy. The stuff you learn on this podcast. Indeed. One more thing I want to add. Who did the theme song? Alan Thick. Alan Thick. <laughs> oh, good. There's no phone ringing. No, no phone ringing this week. For the record, this is why I was occupied to prevent Alan from calling into my phone. So, aside from. Uh, Alan Ludden being the host, and Charlie O'Donnell and Bill Armstrong announcing, and Alan Thicke doing the theme music. We had a bit of an interesting story about this show, because uh, NBC at the t- actually I'll save that for later because the same fate would actually befall upon the show that followed Stumpers, and that would be. 50 Grand Slam. Meet the competitors. General Knowledge Champion Dwayne Myers returns for more competition. Returning to compete in 20th Century American Fiction, Rose Lee Holman. TV Trivia Champion Randy Kaplan returns to make a decision that could be worth $1,000. 
on NBC's biggest money program, The 50 Grand Slam. And here's the star of the program, Tom Kennedy. Hello again. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, and welcome once again to The 50 Grand Slam, where a person with the courage that go for broke can earn from $200 all the way up to a grand prize of $50,000. Now, this show was not created by Lynn Boland. Lynn Boland did not have a hand in it at all, whatsoever. But, come on. When Ralph Andrews has a show, are you going to say no to it? I mean, this is the same guy who came up with You Don't Say, Celebrity Sweepstakes. Lingo! We talked about him, Lingo, in 1887. I was about to say, he's still 11 years away from launching Lingo into the world. 50 Grand Slam was billed as the return of the big money game show, because a player has a chance to win $50,000 in a game show with both quiz elements and challenge elements from time to time. And this is going to be a bit of a bear to explain, but hear me out. Each episode consists of eight contestants with two competing at the same time. They were matched up based on a specific category or ability of expertise. And then there was a general knowledge one. Each head-to-head played out with a four-part question. The current champion, or the winner of a coin toss, would decide whether to play first or second. The first player heard the question and answered it. The second would be placed in an isolation booth. Presumably the giant zero on set. Because remember, there was a 50 Grand Slam big logo on the set. Well, sort of. Kind of, sort of. What, what there were, there were two cubes, and they rotated uh, at the start of the show and also at the end of the show. And that's actually the isolation booths the players would be in was the zero on those cubes. Okay, okay. Now, In order to have that logged in as an official match, you had to have answered two parts of the question correctly. The player who answers the most parts correctly wins that game. And for every game they won, they won more money, with the stipulation that they could walk at any time. Because if they lost the next game... I believe they would lose the money that they've already won, right? Except at the $50,000 level. If they lost going for $50,000, they did win a car as a consolation prize. Okay. And it takes eight games to win the 50000 Also, in the event of a tie, it's considered a draw. They both win that amount of money and get the option to continue or to leave. Except for the $50,000 question. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So you do need to win against eight opponents uh, in order to uh, win the $50,000. Yeah, you have to log in eight wins. 
Now, this is primarily a quiz show, but like I said, there were some episodes in which you had to complete a challenge. An example of uh, one of the events that uh, people would do in lieu of playing uh, questions was on the premiere episode, two contestants battled in a golf chipping competition trying to get a golf ball into like a 55-gallon drum. And from a certain distance, it couldn't have been too far. I mean, stages are only so big, so it must have been 10, maybe 15 yards at most. And this must have been dropped really early on because I think the first episode, nobody hit anything. There were no balls in the, the drums. And actually, I have seen courtesy of friend of the podcast, uh, Nick Brobeck, who has a Twitch stream every Monday night showing uh, different uh, game show episodes. He showed the 11th episode, which would have been dated October uh, 18th of uh, 76, about a month or so ago. And they had a golf competition, but they weren't chipping balls into the 55 gallon drum. It was a miniature golf competition where a green was laid out, across the stage, again, maybe about 10, 12, 15 yards. And they had to chip it to begin with to get on the green, or maybe they could use the putter. But regardless, they had two shots to get in the hole. And uh, actually, they ended up tying in that uh, event. They, they both uh, used six strokes to uh, in the four t- uh, turns. Actually, not just six strokes, six strokes to get three balls sunk. So they tied getting three balls in the same number of shots. But we're going to talk more about that episode in a little bit. The the Monday episode of week three, because there's something very interesting uh, that's going to come up. You know, all this talk about balls. And by the way, I haven't said a word edgewise in this episode yet. All that talk about balls made me think it would be much more fun if there was a game involving Mr. Bucket. Mr. Bucket? Put the balls in my mouth. Mr. Bucket. I'm a mouthful, Mr. Bucket. Ooh, buckets are fun. I like Mr. Bucket. But yeah, uh, besides uh, the uh, the golf competitions, I really haven't seen anything in a non-academic question basis. The money, though, we didn't even talk about the money. We talked about, yeah, you need to either beat or tie your opponent uh, to move up the, the money ladder until you get to that $50,000. Yep. You do it once, it's $200. Do it again, $500. Third time, it's 1000 And then 2000 Then 5000 Then 10000 for the sixth level. 20000 for the seventh. And you get to the eighth and final level... You complete the 50 grand slam, you win $50,000. And we should add that any given challenge or category was in play until nine contestants played it or someone won the $50,000. And actually in the history of the show, five people won the $50,000. Including, I don't know, I think this is the first $50,000 winner. I said... On the Monday episode of week three, there was more we we're going to talk about. We we're going to talk about the first, presumably $50,000 win. It was in the category of, I want to say like 
plays or Broadway, something related uh, to that genre. And the rule to win the $50,000 is you had to get all three questions right. You could have won the match, but yeah, it couldn't get anything wrong. And I think it may be due to this episode. Because as uh, I sort of allude to, somebody played for $50,000. This entire segment was a huge mess. The uh, I forget what the question was about, but they had the wrong answer listed. So actually, in this match, it ended up being one correct answer for the person going for $50,000 against zero. The, the other person got all three wrong. But then Tom Kennedy came on and said, oh, we made a mistake. This is the right answer. So it's actually two to one, not one to zero. And the rule at that point apparently wasn't just win, but you only had to get two out of three to get the $50,000. So with this, this revelation that they had uh, the wrong answer, or there was an alternate right answer, this guy won the $50,000. And truth be told, $50,000 in 1976 I'm not going to ask Greg to get the inflation calculator out, but I'm guessing $50,000 in 1976 is worth about a quarter of a million dollars today, maybe even closer to $300,000. I have it right here, actually. $50,000 in 1976. You were close the first time, Mike. It's worth a little over $260,000 today. A lot of money. A, I mean, even $50,000 nowadays is a lot of money. But you're talking about really, truly life-changing money in 1976. This might have been the most anticlimactic, least exciting, big money victory on any game show ever, ever. Because again, number one, Tom Kennedy comes out and says, oh, for the first question, yeah, you guys had the right answer. We had the wrong answer. Our bad. But then he just declares uh, the person that had to write the winner, hey, you just won $50,000. No sirens going off. No lights going off. You had just the theme and you had the contestant there sort of shell-shocked. No excitement for a big money show for all the technology for this big light board that we haven't even talked about yet, which is an amazing piece of technology. All you had on the screen was the old Solari flippy numbers with $50,000 on the screen. I don't even think it was flashed. And you had the theme playing in the background. Not any sort of special version of the theme, not a victory theme or a win theme. You had the basic theme. Absolutely the most underwhelming, lackluster way of celebrating a huge victory. I wish I had video of it. I I should have asked Nick to see if I could somehow borrow video or audio so you guys could see this. It is horrible. I got a question. Is this more underwhelming than the Beat the Clock 79 finale? Very much so. $50,000. You should have lights and sirens and... You know, family coming up uh, from the audience and dropping balloons, confetti, a giant check for 50000 
something. You a just guy don't in have a chicken this, suit. Like, Come on, give me something. You don't have just this 60, 65-year-old contestant just standing there smiling because you just won $50,000 showing no excitement. You, and just, again, playing the theme, no theatrics, underwhelming. And again, I wish I had video of it. I, I don't want to infringe on Nick uh, uh, if he has you know certain connections or whatnot, but it's disappointing. Especially again for this show where you have all this technology and and, and uh, it just is visually appealing, and then your first big winner comes off like that. Where, oops, we screwed up on this. You just won fifty thousand dollars. Thanks for coming, uh, a opponent who only got one question right, and that was our mistake as well. Absolutely horrible, horrible. Not even. I can't even say it's good TV. Usually a big winner is good TV. This is the exact opposite of it. It was horrible. Horrible. But hey, let's get back to that big light board. My gosh. I mean, this was set big, was amazing. This, yeah. Th- this whole set was amazing. I, okay. I mentioned the two rotating cubes, which act as isolation booths which are just laden with lights. Oh my God. The electric bill on this show must've been sky high. If you remember the Bruce Forsyth hot streak episode, I, and I think Greg and Chico might've have fawned over this as well. At the end of the show, there would be this big light board that would come from the, the rafters and it would have strobe lights on it showing how much the team won. An amazing, oh my gosh, I loved it back in 1986. The scoreboard, or at least not really the scoreboard, but over the uh, in the introduction, when uh, Tom Kennedy introduces the TV show, he mentions that they could win up to $50,000 and you have the, uh, the increments, the, the, the money amounts appearing on this light board uh, behind him. It's similar to the light board from Hot Streak, but this goes across this entire span of the stage and it's probably, I'm guessing about 10 feet high or so. This is a big light board. I mean, we probably haven't seen anything anywhere near this size until I'm going to say match game, Hollywood scores hour where you had this amazing light board stretching through the entirety or at least two thirds of the, of the studio. But yeah, that, that episode and that ended the episode. I think that was the last player, and it just sucked all the energy out of the room. Not that there was much energy because, you know, everybody else is going for smaller amounts of money, but that was a disappointment. That's just... And the thing about those cubes, Mike, they weren't just spinning around. They were also moving to make the set seem bigger than it already is. Oh, yeah, they rotated, yeah. It's like they were moving, like they split off. That was impressive. I mean, especially in 1976 terms, that was incredible. And when it started out, it just seemed like there was space to do almost anything. It's like uh, Tom Kennedy pointed out, physical and mental challenges. Obviously, he had the mental challenge with the booths and whatnot. 
and you had the space to do the physical challenge. Of course, you didn't. I guess the uh, physical challenges were phased out early on, and it became purely a mental challenge. But, but yeah, you, you could do a lot with that stage. We should also mention that for the premieres of both episodes, the respective hosts of the other shows visited each show. So you had Tom Kennedy going on Stumpers to promote that because it came on after Stumpers. But also you had Alan Ludden going to visit Tom Kennedy on 50 Grand Slam. So that's part of the reason I think we're packaging these two shows together is they sort of are sister shows, complimentary shows, even though they don't really have a whole heck of a lot in common besides they premiered on the same day and got canceled on the same day. You know what? Kudos NBC for, you know, having one host on the other's show for that hour that day. I mean, they wanted to hype up Stumpers. They wanted to hype up 50 Grand Slam. Obviously, you had two of the best to do it with Alan Ludden and Tom Kennedy. I mean, this looked like it was going to be exciting. And they wanted to create that vibe of excitement. So, obviously, they got Alan Ludden on the set of 50 Grand Slam. Be all excited about what's going on. And they have Tom Kennedy on the set of Alan Ludden's Stumpers. I have to wonder, I want to believe in their heart of hearts that they believed that this hour of game shows was going to be an event. This was something that you're going to have to make time for. Something you're going to have to plan your lunch around. Because remember, back in 1976, game shows were just relegated from 9 a.m. to noon. They were pretty much from 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock. They did a pot of do with your mama's stories, basically. I've got the schedule right here. In 1976, the day began with Sanford and Son, followed by the Hollywood Squares, Wheel of Fortune, then Stumpers, 50 Grand Slam, The Gog Show, Days of Our Lives, The Doctors, Another World, and then it was over. And that was just on NBC. On ABC, you would have up against Stumpers, and this is going to be another look at the schedule here, up against Stumpers and 50 Grand Slam on ABC from the hour of 11.30 to 12.30 would be a rerun of Happy Days and something called Hot Seat. Well, that's only for the first three weeks. Hot Seat did not last very long. It was basically kind of sort of newlywood game with a lie detector. Ah, so it was the moment of truth, basically. Yeah, sure. And uh, it was hosted by Jim Peck. Beloved Jim Peck. We, we've talked about him previously. Yeah. Second chance in 1977. Uh, but then uh, starting in uh, October 25th of 76, the Don Ho Show replaced it at noon. The Don Ho Show? Yeah, Don Ho. I know who Don Ho is. I didn't think he had a show. Yeah, Don Ho had a show. Tiny bubbles in the wine. Sing it, Greg. Make me happy. Make, Make me, me feel fine. Champagne's not Corbell! Hey, 
Remember that classic episode of Mystery Diners with the fake Don Ho ukulele? <laughs> oh, since I haven't mentioned it, hold on, we gotta do this. This is CNN Breaking News. For Prime Day, they had Discovery Plus available for 99 cents for two months. And you know who bid on it? Me. For one reason. To stream all the episodes of Mystery Diners. And guys, in December, we're going to do a sequel to Mystery Diners. That's right! We're going to do another Mystery Diners episode in December. Greg's already found an episode which tops released their own. Oh, yes. It's so great. Two words. Roller cam. (laughs) Now, now you see, when I said Don Ho and started singing Tiny Bubbles, Greg, I thought you were going to go a totally different direction. Oh. The mole, don't you remember? I did. I did say the, the mole. Did you? Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I said the mole. You see, when Mike set up Tiny Bubbles, that's when I thought I mentioned the mole because that was referencing that one part from Mole 2 as me and Mike are going to talk about in a bit right here. Oh, maybe I didn't. But yeah, the mole. There was a moment where like they were trapped in a room and Don Ho's Tiny Bubbles was playing. <laughs> with, with little <laughs> bubbles all over the place. Yeah, th- this was the second season of the mole. Yeah. When they were in Hawaii, I believe. Yeah, that's why I thought Greg was going to go with Don Ho and Tiny Bubbles, but no, I like where he went a lot better with Don Ho's ukulele. The (laughs) fake Don Ho ukulele. The fake Don Ho ukulele. Very well played there, Greg. Oh, what a great episode that was of Mystery Diners. The memorabilia episode. Yep. Well, ha, 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 yeah. Oh, well, you know, we should also mention CBS because... Yeah, yeah, it was just it was like, what, what, were we, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, CBS. Okay, yeah. so CBS was the same deal. Yeah. Love of Life was at 11.30, and The Young and the Restless was at 12. This was back when The Young and the Restless was a half-hour show, and it didn't have that whole classic logo we all know and love so much. It probably wouldn't even have had Nadia's theme at this no, point because Nadia have would have just theme at the time. It started out with Nadia's theme. It, oh, it did. Oh, I thought Nadia's theme yeah, came dude. before. Oh, okay. I mean, granted, the uh, opening looked different, but Nadia's theme was still playing. Thought the drawings of the cast members. I actually uh, looked at the history of the Young of the Restless opening theme on YouTube. So, okay. So you had Love of Life and Young of the Restless on one channel. Happy Days and Hot Seat on another channel. Stuppers and 50 Grand Slam on NBC. Well, and Don Ho. Don't forget Don Ho because Hot Seat was only the first three weeks. So when you look at the competition, Love of Life, very strong uh, soap opera for CBS in the day. Happy Days reruns. Was there any bigger show? I mean, at this point, this had only been the third season of Happy Days, and they're already showing it in daytime reruns. Yeah, well, Three's Company didn't hit yet. Well, so, it just started at this point. Exactly. 76 it would have just been the started. Start. It didn't hit. 
Okay, fair enough. And of course, the noon slot. What do we need to say about that? That's the usual death slot in the uh, daytime. And not just because Young and the Restless, but uh, you also have a lot of preemptions uh, for news. And actually, that was the case here in Cleveland. Against 50 Grand Slam, you had the local news on ABC and the local news on CBS. Uh, I was also going to add, I, I see what strategy I think NBC was trying to utilize here. Because Wheel of Fortune, big show, even back in 1976, a big show with one of Lynn Boland's studs, Chuck Woolery, who's only probably in his early 30s at this point, if not even a little younger. And then at the end of the uh, the block, at 1230, after 50 Grand Slam, you have the gong show. And that just blew up like gangbusters. In 1976, that was like the breakout show of 1976 in the daytime. Oh, yeah. America loved Chuck Barris in 1976. And Chuck Barris loved America. So so why not put your two new shows in between the really hot thing at 11 o'clock with the good-looking host and the really good, funny, eccentric, off-the-wall comedy show or talent show afterwards? Okay, so maybe it didn't work, but also, I don't know, maybe 50 Grand Slam was trying to get some of that Jeopardy type of momentum from a couple of years back. Because remember, Jeopardy was one of those afternoon shows that, you know, when kids were in college or when students were in college, they'd watch that in the afternoon. So, So I wonder if they're trying to sort of build off of that. But also remember that in 1976, you did have another big money quiz show in syndication, the $128,000 question. So maybe there was some sort of quasi revival trying to go on with the big money shows. I don't know. Well, we all know who hosted one of the seasons of the $120,000 question. Mike Darrow. Well, that and... <laughs> I know the other person. I wanted to see how you'd react to Mike Darrow. Yeah, that's Alex why I said yeah, yeah, Alex yeah. Trebek. That's why yeah. I said one of the seasons. Right, 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 right. Yeah, the other one hosted by Alex Trebek. Did I tell you guys I met Alex Trebek? You mentioned that all the damn time, Chico. We all know you met Alex Trebek on Jeopardy. Yes. Did I mention that you love wings? How did you know, Chico? How did you know this? I've never told anybody in the 290 total episodes now of this podcast. I never told anybody. I have a good read. What can I say? I'm so glad I don't have a running gag. (laughs) I was on a hardball. That, like, that you're from age, Cleveland. That's your running gag. That aged like like bad cheese. Okay, so we looked at the schedule. It didn't really stand much of a hope, but Tom Kennedy was not out of work for long because as soon as this ended, he was right back into it with Name That Tune. Well, he had the nighttime Name That Tune at that point, too. So he definitely was not out of work. Alan Ludden, I think he would 
Split in 76. Yeah, he would still be two years removed from the plus. No. Remember, he did Liars Club. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, so, so he, he was a, a short time away from Liars Club. You know, he, what he probably was doing in 1977 between Stumpers and Liars Club, he was probably making the rounds with Betty on Tattletales and Match Game. Oh, yeah. But yeah, as soon as that was over, we have uh, Hollywood Squares and Wheel of Fortune, obviously. And then a new show called Shoot for the Stars, and of course, named that tune. But then they moved the Gog Show to four to make room for something called Lovers and Friends. The hell is that? I have no idea. Sounds like what another one of your mama's stories. Oh, I bet you it's one of your mama's stories. I guarantee it. Hold on, I'm trying to find it. Mothers and friends. Lovers. Lovers. lovers oh, lovers, lovers and friends. Oh. We're not talking about the Gloria Loring song either, by the way. I wish it was about the Gloria Loring um, song. Or, sorry, was it Gloria Loring or Vonda Shepard? No, I think it was Gloria Loring. I, th- I think, yeah, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Well, it's a good thing Alan's not calling. I disconnected the number, so he can't call. So, Oh, I already invoked Alan once because he did the theme to Stumpers. He did. That's why I disconnected it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we don't know who did the uh, theme music to 50 Grand Slam, but we do know that John Harlan was the voice of the 50 Grand Slam, and what a voice, I should say. Oh, definitely. Can we get hey, can we get an appreciation for John Harlan real quick? We get an appreciation from him all the damn time whenever we watch American Gladiators on Pluto. Thank you. Uh, okay, hold on. I I got a little something for lovers and friends here. All right. The only name I recognize uh among the the, the cast that I see is Nancy Marchand. Oh, Livia Soprano. Yeah. So again, that's the only name that I uh, recognize. The ultimate legacy of Stumpers and 50 Grand Slam is that, of course, for years, the tapes of the premiere and finale of both shows were available on the circuit. Both shows have since been uploaded to YouTube, along with various clips of other episodes, but Per the wiping policy of NBC, you know, as they erase old tapes to make way for new content, most of the runs of both 50 Grand Slam and Stumpers are assumed to be lost media. You never know, though. You never know. Well, I, I say that because notice the gong show survived, and that was right around the same time but also you don't know what's in the, the ralph andrews archive and he has a well his not he has because he passed his family has a ralph andrews production youtube channel and they've posted some uh, clips from lingo now nothing from you don't say and nothing from this yet but you never know gotta keep hope alive you really do but Stumpers, 
as far as I know, I think this is the only show that Lynn Bowen Productions ever did. Does it still exist? Again, who knows? Lynn Bowen passed away a number of years ago. So I think this is just a giant shoulder shrug. Yep. It's like, you want to talk about the the lost game show? These would be two prime examples of the lost game show. I mean, we know it exists. We know it was a thing on TV. We just set up the tapes of 63 of the episodes. 62 if you're 50 grand slam. <laughs> sorry. Not sorry. But yeah, nobody's looking for the tapes. Nobody's trying to circulate the tapes that are available. Nobody's sharing them on YouTube. And nobody's interested in the reboots. No, I don't think you're going to see a reboot of any of these anytime soon. Not as long as Michael Strahan continues to make money for Sony Pictures Television Studios. Well, no reboot, to which I say, good. I like Stumpers. I think, again, Stumpers, I really love the set and the lighting and everything, they or lack of lighting in this uh, series. But I like the gameplay, too. I thought it was an interesting take on Password, kind of, sort of, and then you sort of reverse the process for the bonus round. Yeah, I, I don't have any issues with it. 50 Grand Slam, again, I've seen a third episode, which isn't out there necessarily. Oh, my gosh. I, as much as I love Tom Kennedy, as much as I love all the lights and whatnot, just all the visuals, no, I do not want to see 50 Grand Slam again. No, 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 sorry. no, no, no. So, yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Pretty much. What can we say about uh, Stumpers and 50 Grand Slam? They premiered on the same day. They died on the same day. But for those 65 episodes, they were a thing on TV. Sad to say, but... Yeah, I mean, there's reasons they uh, got canceled. Not that they'd be around 46 years later. Uh, Except except if we're watching that one Christmas special, and I wish that 50 Grand Slam was starting its 47th season. Rudolph's shiny new year? Oh, God. You you wish that Rudolph would never find baby new year. So? It's like rooting for the whammy. Yeah, the whammy's bad. The whammy takes money, but you get this cute animation. What do you mean? I'm not animated. I'm right here. You're terribly animated, my friend. Well, you can check out all of the stumpers and all of the Grand Slams we have over at ItWasTheThingOnTV.com. All of our live streams, our live watches, our remasters, mini-sodes, over... 300, I think maybe close to 400 episodes worth of content. And of course, if you go to our Linktree page, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash it was a thing on TV, that will be the link to all of our socials. And of course, you got to give it up to our friends at Place to Be Nation Pop. I believe, what do we have? We have the return of the Incredible Hulk and the live watch we did of Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes one and two. Now, if you notice on the pop feed, I didn't put 
the gang wrestles for the troops. That is going to be on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed. We're recording this on Friday. It will be released actually right now as you're listening to this on the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed. So go search the wrestling feed for the gang wrestles for the troops. It was a fun episode. Oh, the gang wrestles for the troops. Maybe want to get a pair of jorts. And listen to Seal sing Kiss from a Rose. Oh, yeah. Maybe want to watch Batman Forever again. I have the soundtrack to Batman Forever. It's, it's a good cool. soundtrack. It really is. Oh, yeah. That U2 song. Oh, love it. I like Kiss from a Rose myself, but that's just me. Oh, about that U2 song. Weird Al made a parody of it about the dentist office. It was the freaking best. Especially the part sitting in the waiting room reading crappy magazines. That was a really good song. It really was. But in any event, uh, all of that, you can find that all at it was a thing on TV.com. And of course, if you go to our YouTube page, make sure you share our videos. Make sure you give them a like. Give our channel a subscribe. Hit the notification bell. So you can stay up to date on all of our future entries, like the one we have coming up next week. What do we have? Um, we We have a birthday celebration next week. Yeah, this came by surprise. Yep, we were totally blindsided. Norman Lear is turning 100. I didn't think it would be possible, but there you go. He's turning 100, and we have two shows in his honor for number 100. Again, not all of them can be one day at a time or all in the family. We have a sort of mockumentary, and we also have an homage, a reversion of a British classic. Probably it's close to an homage than an actual reversion, don't you think? Yeah. And also, hey guys, remember two weeks ago when I said we were going to be talking about James Cromwell again? Well, this is when we're going to be talking about him again. And in the other episode, we're probably going to be talking about one person, possibly for the only time ever. Seriously. We've talked about this person... In the past, I'm sure, but never in relation to a show that person has been on. I think this is the only time we're going to talk about a show this person has been on. This will all make sense next time, right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Thank you for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Wow! Hey, folks, I, I need your help. Get up on your feet and shout out that you don't need cop shows and you don't need those news programs on television. Tell them about it. You don't want cop shows and detective shows and, and soap operas. You want good shows. You want, you want game shows. More game shows than ever before, huh?